saved my life. <laughs> All right. Here we are. Good to be here. Amen. Time for the Word of God. As, is, as if it hasn't been here already. Well, Really, that's what this is all about, isn't it? It's His Word. Got a question for you. Is it right for believers to desire the judgment and wrath of God upon the unbelievers, the ungodly world, which cast insults upon God's people, and really they're casting insults upon God, actually, but they persecuted His people, they will persecute His people, they will kill believers. Is it right to desire the judgment and wrath? Well, I'm going to let you think about that as we go through our text today. Uh, we continue with the study of Revelation. We're in chapter 6. Last week we did the four horsemen which really are the first four seals of the seven seals. First four, the first uh, four are dealing with God's judgment as far as there will be one coming on the earth who will present peace like a Messiah would. And then after that, the second seal was war. And then it would be famine and then uh, death, pestilence. Those kind of things are the first four seals. And that's only the beginning. It says the beginning of the birth pangs. We've had all of those things in the world, but uh, birth pangs means they will mount and get closer and closer together. Um, so it's at the beginning of this. And our text picks up with the fifth seal today that we're going to be presenting, and it's dealing with persecution, martyrdom, and really the main point is the vengeance of God. I kind of call him the avenger because he uh, is one who will answer the prayers of the souls in heaven who have no bodies yet. That's in our text. They died on earth. Souls are in heaven, and yet they are making uh, prayers to God that He would avenge their deaths and deaths of others to come. If you look in the Psalms, you'll get something that is called the imprecatory Psalms. Some of you may have heard of that, some haven't. You'll say, what is that? Well, simply it's this. It's God bringing on His justice, His righteousness, His wrath upon the ungodly. And being prayed for that. David did it frequently through the Psalms. You've read them before. He constantly is doing that. So our question would be, would that be right? Because it sounds really bad. But cry, the cries of David were there about God taking vengeance on those who were dishonoring God and David himself, um, their question to God is, how long do you wait to bring on this justice, this judgment? You're going to judge. We know that. When is it going to be? Is it going to be very soon? So, we also have a desire, us, for sin and wickedness to be judged. Do we not? The reason is because 
We've been made righteous. We've been made declared righteous. And because of God's righteousness, we have to stay consistent with Him who is a just God. So, we also want that time to come where sin is judged. So, is that desire of judgment for the ones who hate God? Is it right for us to pray that justice would be done on them? That's what we're going to be examining today. So we will be in verse 9 through 11, Revelation 6. And let's go ahead and read that text. This is the fifth seal. When the Lamb broke the fifth seal, I saw underneath the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the Word of God and because of the testimony which they had maintained. And they cried out with a loud voice saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, will You refrain from judging and avenging our blood on those who dwell on the earth? And there was given to each of them a white robe, and they were told that they should rest for a little while longer, until a number of their fellow servants and their brethren who were to be killed, even as they had been, would be completed also. Let's pray. Father, great God, again we go into text that is heavy weighs heavy on our thoughts, our minds. And really, everything is always about you. This is about your justice, your righteousness, your wrath. We don't like to think about it that much, but it is a part of you. It is your character. For without justice, there would be no hope. We would not even be here. We know that sin would totally take over the world if you hadn't judged sin all the way up to this time. And as sin waxed worse, as the world waxed worse, as you have promised in your word, also judgment will be like it never has been before. And we look upon that and we say, what a holy God you are. We worship you. We are in awe of even that. In Jesus' name we pray, Amen. Amen. Yes, it is. uh, I think it's very heavy. (laughs) This text is. It could be uh, rather daunting on people who don't know the character of God. This is the kind of God that people who don't know Him, this is the kind of God they don't want. And we in our own minds... If we had our own choice, we would like to erase it ourselves. But His wrath has to go upon all sin. As individuals who are Christians, that wrath has happened at the cross. But there is one that is coming for the world of the ungodly. So in verse 9 it says, When the Lamb broke the fifth seal... I saw underneath the altar the soul of those who had been slain because of the Word of God and because of the testimony which they had maintained. 
and I think I will go to there. And there is a, is that the one I go to? I cannot see that. Okay. Yeah. Right? Okay. Trouble seeing today. Trouble reading even. Okay. Such goes the elderly. <laughs> <laughs> Would I dare suggest cataract surgery? Okay. You just had a birthday. Just <laughs> I just had a birthday. Just had a birthday. <laughs> it just changed automatically on my birthday. Just showed you. Okay, this section starts off with the lamb. As we talk about constantly, every text that we want to get into, who is the focus? Who's the main point? Always Christ. And here's the lamb. Nothing else makes sense without Christ, without the Messiah, without the Lamb of God. He's their focal point. He died to eradicate our sins. He did that at the cross. Those who trust in Him have their sins judged, taken care of. Amen. The situation that we're in here is called tribulation. It's the first part of it, but it stretches out through the whole time period. And if you wanted to go back in time, you can also symbolically put that there too because there's always been saints. There's always been ungodly. There's always been rewards. There's always been judgment. There is one that is final. A time that we always looked at last week, looked through the Old Testament and New Testament, the time of Jacob's distress. Jesus said it was like a time that never has been or ever will be after that. So Jesus spoke of this time and so did the prophets. And now we have John talking about it here. Souls under the altar, how did they ever get there? Well, verse 9 says they were killed. They were martyred, that's what it was. So after you have false peace, and after you have war after that, and then famine, and then pestilence and death, after you have those, those are the four horsemen, on comes this fifth seal of persecution and martyrdom. So that's what we have there. The Lamb is there. He's breaking the seal and He's bringing forth this next judgment. Now, we have a parallel text that Jesus spoke of in Matthew 24, which was answering a question whenever the disciples were saying, what's the signs of the end? And he went on and gave a lengthy discourse on the signs of that time. Signs of His coming. And so, in Matthew 24, you get seals that are opened there. He doesn't call them seals, but he does start in Matthew 24, verse uh, 5, for instance, at, or verse 4, actually. He says, See to it that no one misleads you, uh, he warns them, says, For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ. I am the Messiah. The Messiah was to come bringing a kingdom. A kingdom of peace. There's going to be people coming, uh, trying to lead people astray and say, Peace, peace. They'll mislead many. And then after that, you'll be hearing of wars and rumors of wars. Well, that is, those have all happened, we know. But the intensity is going to mount completely. 
this end time that Jesus is answering the question to. The wars and rumors of wars. So you have peace, then what do you have? Wars after that. See that you're not frightened for those things must take place that is not and is not yet the end. For nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. So there's your wars. Here is where people are killing each other in big numbers. There will be famine and earthquakes. So there's our next rider on the horse that was considered to be famines where there would be uh, food that would be limited. They had the scales representing uh, what famine would be in a, at a later time. And then earthquakes, pestilences, that kind of thing. There's, there's your four seals, your four horsemen. He says all these things are merely the beginning of the pangs. The rest of them are going to start coming quicker. And then here we go. Here's what our fifth seal is today. Here we just saw the first four there. Then they will deliver you to tribulation and will kill you and you will be hated by all nations because of my name. At that time, many will fall away, will betray one another, hate one another. That's right. People will fall away. The apostasy... Apostasy has to come first before the Antichrist really presents himself in the temple proclaiming himself to be God. So a parallel there. What is the altar here? When you go back to our Revelation text in uh, chapter 6, you have the lamb there and then you have the altar, the souls of those who had been slain, have been killed. Well, the altar, you have to think back uh, to the tabernacle or the temple, you had the altar, first of all, where you would bring the lambs, the bulls, the goats, where they'd be sacrificed, and the blood would go down, all the way down to the bottom. And that is one altar. You go all the way into the uh, temple, the holy place, right before the curtain that is called the Holy of Holies, where the presence of God was represented there you would have the altar of incense. And what is it representing? The prayers of the believers, the saints. The incense goes up and it pleases God that there's been a sacrifice. Uh, some people say it could be the altar that is at the very first part of the tabernacle. And that would be the burnt offering uh, where everything is burnt, the blood goes all the way down into the bottom to, you know, here it even relates to the altar, underneath the altar, the seals there, but I, I'm kind of thinking of a heavenly throne room here, and that, that's considered an, an altar, and they're there below where the king is at, so realistically that's probably what it would be. I can't imagine them being underneath a real sacrificial altar or uh, this altar of incense. I mean, it's it's represent, representation here though, isn't it? And so, at any rate, which altar is it? I don't know. I, I would favor, if, if I had to favor anything, that altar of incense that's all the way back to where the presence of God almost is, where you had the veil. We know that that veil has been uh, rent, it's been torn, and there's no veil anymore. We have access directly to God. We are priests, and we can go to God anytime we want. We're constantly before Him. And so any, anyway, where incense was pictured, there was ascending 
prayer. Uh, you have to think, okay, the prayers of the saints. How about in Revelation 5, verse 8? We've already seen something like that. Uh, in verse 8, it says, When he had taken the book, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb, each one holding a harp and golden bowls uh, full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. God is pleased when we pray. You worship Him. You're in awe of Him when you pray. Even when you go asking Him for something, He loves that. He is pleased with it. He takes great joy. You can make God rejoice by praying. you got something on your heart, you take it to God, He's rejoicing about that. Well, in chapter 8, verse 3, it says this, Another angel came and stood at the altar holding a golden censer, and much incense was given to him so that he might add it to the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar which was before the throne. So again, the prayers of the saints. And that's what you have here in chapter 6. Rather remarkable. There's actually a certain inevitability now that there is going to be prayer dealing with God, when are you going to judge this? When are you going to judge all the wickedness and the sin and the evil? Finally, God, when is it going to happen where it all comes to an end? Right? Well, it's inevitable. That will happen. It will mount worse and worse. I will tell you that it will be government-led. You'll be hated by all nations on account of my name. In Matthew 24, Jesus said that. Here it happened to these guys, these believers. All over the world, all over the globe, as in globalism, the world government, will be persecuting and killing believers in Christ Not only government-inspired, but religiously-inspired. That is hard to believe that people who trust in Christ will actually be judged by or turn in people who proclaim the gospel of Christ, who study the Word of God and who preach it and teach it, who believe in it, and there will be religious people having churches and they'll have signs out in front and they may even be the denominations that all have respected. And there can be pastors and deacons and elders and the people in the church that would turn in people who would believe in God's justice and even read this text and they would be mad and angry and they would turn them into the government. There will be courts that are involved Jesus says in Matthew 24, there will be governors involved, there will be the synagogue involved, there will be churches involved. We ordinarily think, well, I could see how liberal churches could do that. Yeah, but a lot of churches that we consider to be along with us will eventually cave also. They, too, will be people who will show that they're really not real. They'll turn in their brothers and sisters in Christ under the name of peace. And so we see that everybody is going to turn against 
the church of Christ, church of Jesus Christ, all believers that is, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's a shame. You know, you say church of Christ and everybody thinks of a denomination. But that's really what we are. We're the church. We're the, uh, the call, the elected of Christ. So, yes, in that sense, every believer is part of the church of Christ. You know, that kind of persecution that will be handled will be handled officially. You'll be considered a traitor of the world. The whole worldwide ecumenical religious system will get involved in it. Religion will become the persecutor of the true believers. If you were to look in Revelation 17, you have the great, what is called the great whore of Babylon, which represents the church and also the government. And so it's a combination of church and government. And down through history, we've seen where the church got along with the government, and, and we should. We are commanded to do that, to, to give honor to those leaders. But yet, we've also seen for many, many years, centuries, actually the Roman church and the Roman Empire were connected together. They had church and state. And a lot of the state was ruled by the church, whatever the church said. And of course, they were responsible for killing just literally thousands of believers. And that was considered to be the church and the, the government. So political aspects are involved there too. But I will tell you, what has happened down through history, there still was a restrainer there that kept the world from destroying every single Christian. The great restrainer, as spoken of in 2 Thessalonians, deals with one who eventually will be taken out as far as keeping the restraining going. Once he's removed in that sense, the attitudes that reign that are really anti-God, anti-Christ, and of course, hatred toward his people, uh, persecution will start in a big way. Uh, restraining, right now we're still under, a, uh, there's a restraint there where the world has not completely gone off the track. When that happens, it won't last long because mankind will turn against himself. Mankind would destroy this earth in no time if there was not a restrainer. It's all connected with who God is, what He's doing, isn't it? Amen. So today, as Christ said, as far as the church is concerned for the next who knows how long, there will be the wheat and the tares. And we talk about that quite frequently. We know what that means, don't we, church? And the, the wheat sometimes can be confused with tares and the tares with the wheat. They kind of blend in. That's what makes up the visible church but there is a spiritual church that's true and right. So the ungodly do not like what is spoken of in the Word of God. That's why you have liberal churches who do not believe in the inerrancy of Scripture, and they very rarely ever turn to Scripture, and when they do, it's something that's all fluffy and uh, all made of peace. It looks beautiful and gorgeous, and it is. God's Word always is. But they never put in anything that would be dealing with sin and judgment and repentance 
And Jesus being the only way. We can just go on and on and on. Those are called liberal churches. And they have a world view that is consistent with that view. Be careful about them. Because they do lead people astray. So what we have to do is recognize the ones that we think are true. The other ones need the truth of the Gospel. If they don't want it, they will be very angry. And what they will do is that they will interpret everything in the way that Christians are the evil people and they have to be getting, gotten rid of. Uh, so therefore... There's a short time of peace. Then there's war. And war brings famine. That in turn also brings pestilences. You know, people will be witnessing the Word of Christ. Those people do not want to hear those things. It makes them very angry. They will shut down whoever is against the one world governing authorities. That will be their goal. Christians stand in the way of their goal, don't we? Uh, 13.7 of Revelation. It was also given to him, this is the Antichrist, to make war with the saints and to overcome them and authority over every tribe and people and tongue and nation was given to him. So war with the saints. You go to chapter 9, verse 21. Back up a little bit. Again, very similar. And they did not repent of their murders, nor of their sorceries, nor of their immorality, nor of their thefts. They didn't repent of their murders. See, there's murder, there's persecution, there's martyr, martyrdom and such. And a lot of people will become murderers at this time. So here, these guys are in heaven here, these souls, and they were killed physically. And that's why they would be praying that God's judgment be done. Now, why were the souls slain? Back to Revelation 6. The text explains it very easily answered. They've been slain because of the Word of God and because of the testimony which they had maintained. Because of the Word of God and the testimony. Now, I did, want to, I did kind of forget. The saints here, these souls, they're saints made perfect. Isn't that interesting? When we become in the presence, come in the presence of God, we are saints made perfect. We can no longer sin any longer after we're out of this body. See, this is what is containing us from what we really like to be. This is, and whenever I point to the body, I mean, you know, yeah, it's the incarcerating. Uh, topic here, I guess you could say, that God uses to maneuver here on the earth, but, uh, you know, the flesh is what it is. It's what hates God. And we must channel it and use it for God's glory, even though it wants to be sinful. 
So, when we die, we get rid of the body and our souls are with the Lord, we are now made perfect. Now, where did I get that made perfect? I like that in Hebrews 12, 23. To know that one day this is what we'll be, but they're still without bodies. Still without bodies at this time. So, um, 12, 23. Uh, Look at verse 22. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to myriads of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect. We are righteous, not because of our own selves, but because of what Christ did at the cross. We are declared righteous because of His acts there. It took away our sin. Righteous made perfect. Someday. For all the saints that we know that have gone on before us, they're perfect now. They're doing a lot better there than they ever were here and that we're doing here. But the Lord still has a time that He wants us to know Him better and to be able to operate in conditions that are not perfect. Because He's... See, the Son did that too. He had to come to this earth and a lot of suffering happened, didn't it? But, never fear, still have hope. These guys, these souls, the prey, and there's been much hostility by the world and Christ leading it. A world attack on believers. Can you imagine that? I think you can. And you know what? The toll was finally taken on those believers in one sense. But secondly, though, even better than that, they were elevated to a glory. From one glory to another glory to another glory to another glory. A glorious state. Waiting for the bodies and waiting for judgment upon this world. Because when that happens, that, that's when they'll get their bodies. And we'll join them. Well, why were the souls slain? The Word of God explains what's going on there. We just saw it, didn't we? The world says we want them silent. Either we'll re-educate them, and if they don't get re-educated we will arrest them. We will persecute them. And then we'll kill them. You know, the killing has always been there. But I will tell you, they will not tolerate the preachers. They will not tolerate the people who have a testimony. They will not tolerate believers. That's why, you know, even in our own country, I think we're moving rather fast in this direction. We see the possibilities. I'm not trying to be negative. I'm just saying this is the way it is. Actually, it's good news. Even though we're not going to see it that way, but it is good news because just like these souls here, 
They get to be with the Lord. That's really our aim, isn't it? Isn't that where our goal is? By the way, I want to get a plug-in for our our newsletter that's back on the um, table back there. Always pick one up if you don't have one. It's really good this month, as it always is. It's really good. It was very encouraging because it's dealing with Philippians. It's talking about going towards the goal. Keep your eyes there. On Christ. On that goal. Forgetting what lies behind. Great New Year's message. Super. Because whatever is in the past, and you can say, you can rest on your laurels. I don't really have to do anything anymore. You know, I'm old and I can just sit back now. Can't do that. Matter of fact, you need to do it even more because you understand more. <laughs> and so, we can't set back or on the other hand, we can't also be drowning in our sorrows and be thinking, oh, I did this and I did that and I'm so sorry for that and we just stay in the past tense. He says, no, you keep looking ahead. You keep going forth. The Puritans use the word trotting. Trotting forth. It's a step at a time. The goal, the upward call, the prize, Jesus Christ. Why are we here? He could take us all without even dying. And He will some people. They meet Him in the air. Without their bodies changing. This is that First Thessalonians 4 and 1 Corinthians 15. I think that's exciting too. Whatever. But I would like that. <laughs> but it doesn't matter. But there's a Christian testimony. And it says here, they are slain because of the Word of God, which they believe in, and they tell it, proclaim it, and of the testimony which they had maintained. It's a testimony of Jesus Christ. Uh, right in the middle of all of this blood slaughter that's going on, Christians are going to be going to say, it's God's judgment. And people will say, how can you even say it? How do you know that? Well, it says it right here. Look at here in Revelation 6. talks about the, these four horsemen. talks about these four seals. Where it said there would be peace. And we had peace, didn't we? Three and a half years. And then it says wars. Rumors of wars. And then it said famine. Pestilence. And then widespread persecution. This is all coming true right now. And the people get mad at that. Because it's prophecy coming true. They can't see that. They would get very... You ever had anybody get irate when you have given them the gospel? When you've given them truth? Two things can happen. Either they will say, hmm, that's interesting. I'm going to think that over. Or they just could say, wow, I, I believe that. So that's all. That's one response. Or the other one is not only anger, but they're ready to get anybody that even believes this kind of stuff. They need to be 
eradicated. Yes, we are hearing that now. Even now in our times. I'm not pressing this saying we're there or we're real close. Could be, but I am hearing that go around. I'm sure you guys have too. If you haven't, all you have to do is uh, listen to the things that the liberal side is saying. And they're really on the warpath. So we can see how this works. The Word of God. Judgment. It's the deplorables again. They're giving their testimony. What's happening in the Bible is Jesus is the Christ. Jesus is the Deliverer. Jesus is the only way. Jesus is our ransom. He is our Redeemer. The only one. That would make a lot of Muslims mad. Well, it would make all the Hindus mad. The Buddhists. Mormons. Jehovah's Witnesses. Christian scientists. On and on and on and on and on. Testimony concerning Jesus Christ. They'll be preaching this, proclaiming God's Word, proclaiming the Gospel of Jesus Christ, and they maintain that in an uncompromising commitment. What happens to the tares? They turn away from the truth. That's what apostasy means, to turn away. That what you once might have even proclaimed, and to turn against truth and God, or at least God the way He is presented in Scripture, they make their own idols in their minds, and now they are and they have hatred for that Jesus Christ, that God, and for anybody that even makes a claim that they believe in Jesus Christ and Him being the only way. We go to Revelation 1 verse 2. Here it is. It's talking about who testified to the Word of God. There's the two words. Testimony, or testified to the Word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ. Hang on to that, folks. That's all we have. The Word of God. We have Jesus Christ. We sang that song earlier, All I Have is Christ. He's all we need. Because He's everything. He is all. The Word, the testimony. Chapter 12, verse 17. Same combination here. You notice how God is always consistent in His Word. So the dragon, that's representing Satan, was enraged with the woman and went off to make war with the rest of her children who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. So there's the persecution of believers. It's actually Jews who may not even be believers at the time. And the ones who become believers from the Gentile realm. It's including all. But uh, chapter 20, verse 4, says really the same combination of words. Then I saw thrones, and they sat on them, and judgment was given to them. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded 
because of their testimony of Jesus and because of the Word of God. And those who had not worshipped the beast or his image and had not received the mark on their forehead and on their hand and they came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. So the Word of God, the testimony again, same thing. Our testimony is Christ. Our testimony is the Gospel. We also have a testimony in our own lives. And even if you don't get a chance to say something sometimes that you'd love to, but they see who you are. Good enough. Kill him too. They, they know your testimony, your own testimony, that you're living it, you're walking it out. So there's number one. The soul's underneath the altar. Now we get to the prayer. The prayer for vengeance. I like the uh, this section here in the sense of trying to outline it. It's easy to outline. There you have the souls. Then you have the prayer. And then you have the vengeance. So, that's easy to follow along with today. And each verse has its own um, main point. Um, in Luke 18.6, Jesus spoke about prayer. We're going to speak a, uh, a little bit on prayer here. Uh, Luke, after Mark, Dennis, Luke 18.6 says, And the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge said. Now will not God bring about justice for His elect who cry to Him day and night? And will He delay long over them? I tell you that He will bring about justice for you quickly. Now we might have our own idea of how quick it is. However, when the Son of Man comes, will He find faith on the earth? That's a good question, isn't it? Wow. Justice for the elect. Yes. Now, if they've already been justified, declared righteous, but now there's justice for what happened to them by an evil, wicked, ungodly world. They cry to Him day and night. Constantly they're praying. That's like breath, prayer is. And a lot of times you don't even know you're praying, but you're, you're actually speaking to the Lord when you're, you're thinking these things and under your breath saying, Thank you, Lord. What a great day it is. Thank you for this food. Thank you for giving me sleep through the night. Whatever, some sleep that I had, right? Every little thing you start thinking, and you know that God is in control of every element in your life. Everything. Isn't that great? We, we, we do. We cry to Him day and night. Sometimes it's like this kind of cry. Um, it's a cry that's fervent. That's the idea of what it means there. It's, it's fervent. It's, it's, Crodzo is the word. It means urgency. Fervency, it's a strong word. It's loudly proclaiming it. And I won't do it over the microphone like I've done before. I'm really tempted. I love to take advantage of that. But you get the idea, right? They're loudly putting forth their prayers. Have you noticed the word loudly? That is an adverb that continues to go throughout the book of Revelation. 
It's not quiet in heaven. I like it. It's loud. Things are happening. What that means to me, it's life. There are colors. They are bold. Everything is brilliant. Our colors here, these are bright red colors. Aren't they pretty cool? Kind of turning a little bit. But, you know, when you think about it, the colors are compared to the brilliant diamonds, stones. It gives us an idea. Now, imagine with perfect, glorified eyesight with the colors coming out that we've never seen before anywhere. Uh, I think of uh, Penny and Frida. Stones that they like. See, they come from Michigan, and they appreciate stones there. I'm not talking about the little (laughs) rocks that we have out here. These stones that they find are just gorgeous. They're brilliant. It's, they're really cool. And people go there to pick up rocks. Do you get arrested for taking a rock from there? If you take too many, you do. Oh, well, sure enough. I would think so, especially in Michigan. Yeah, there's, there's a limit. Sure. <laughs> okay. Of course, it'd probably be anywhere. Otherwise, you wouldn't have any rocks left. <laughs> I say that, with, you know, having a little fun with that, but... I'm just saying, yeah, we, we all enjoy, you know, seeing brilliant things. And of course, Frida really loves colors. Have you guys noticed that? Frida, they, we are really going to be blown away the moment we see what heaven is all about. We can't even get the words out of how wonderful that is going to be. I mean, you don't even want to leave. You want to stay for eternity because there's so much to see. It will take eternity to see everything there which means you'll never see it all. You'll never know it all, even though you will have much more intelligence. And all the keen senses will be there, the aromas, the smells. The, uh, they will all be just amazing. That's what I get out of this whenever I start visiting the throne room of God and where the judgments come from. And even martyrdom here is like, it's all good. It's okay. It is, it's better than good, isn't it? But they are petitioning here. They're crying out. How long? How long? You are holy. You are just, God. You are righteous. You are perfect. And I know that you deal with sin. And I know because your word says you will deal with sin ultimately. You're true and you're faithful. Says that in our text there, right? So there's another. Do you see the characteristic of God in this text today? That's really who I want to talk about. Anytime we're in this, you know, let's get the idea. Yeah, there's going to be tribulation, martyrdom here, are either warnings or promises and all the things that go with it. But you got to keep looking at the Lamb. It starts with the Lamb, right? The Lamb is righteous. The Lamb is holy. The Lamb is without spot. Or without stain? Are you staring at the Lamb? Are you getting a great view of the Lamb? Beautiful. How long, Lord? He has to end the dominance of sin. It dominates here in the world. It's been dominating ever since the fall of man. A lot of people don't even know that. 
What's going on in the world? It's sin. It's really what that's the answer to everything that's going wrong. Sin. Sin. Air goes out of my tire. I'm going, I just pumped that up a week ago. What's the problem? Oh, it's sin. <laughs> Come on. Air going out? Yeah, right. Because things only go so long. They only last so long, don't they? That's a proof of creation. Uh, only thing is, it's also a proof of man coming in and messing it up. And so in the creation story, then with sin there, we see that everything is winding down. Did you know that that is a scientific fact? <laughs> and yet, people are saying man is getting better. <laughs> we just need to get rid of the bad people. The who? The Christians. They are the problem in this world. Or the president is the problem in this world. Or people that think like him. They're all the problems. They're problems. Well, that's why this happens. Sin has to end. How long, Lord? How long are you going to refrain from judging? Watch this. I'm going to take the restrainer away. Let it go. The Antichrist will be able to do whatever he wants. It's not good. That's why you have a God of vengeance. Because if he's not a God of vengeance, we have no future. He's a God of vengeance. This is what they're praying about. They want justice. If you're a Christian, you want justice. Where's justice at? <laughs> I couldn't help but that. I do that every time. Anyway. Psalm 94, 1 through 7. Psalm 90, 94, 1 through 7. Uh, what, what's this? This is a recurring theme throughout the Psalms and really throughout the Bible. Quite frequently we see this. Watch. This is the avenger, folks. Oh, Lord God of vengeance. Wow. God of vengeance, shine forth. Rise up, O judge of the earth. Render recompense to the proud. How long shall the wicked, O Lord? How long shall the wicked exult? They pour forth words they speak arrogantly. All who do wickedness vaunt themselves. They crush your people, O Lord, and afflict your heritage. They slay the widow and the stranger and murder and uh, the orphans. They have said the Lord does not see, nor does the God of Jacob pay heed. Pay heed, you senseless among the people. And when will you understand uh-oh, stupid ones? That's interesting, isn't it? The Lord calls the unbelievers the stupid ones. But it's told by actually the one who's praying here. But He who planted the ear, does He not hear? He who formed the eye, does He not see? We could go on through the rest of the Psalms, but we wouldn't have time to go through other ones. But Psalm 94 is one of those that is called an imprecatory 
psalm. Calling out, crying out for vengeance. They desire the end of sin. Have you ever done it in your life? They're crying out for the destruction of Antichrist. They're crying out for the destruction of, of Satan. Vengeance belongs to God. You'll notice they pray, but they don't do it. They just pray that God would do it. Because God is the one who is the avenger. It's a cry that they have to avenge their blood. And it is not inconsistent with the very character of God. The nature of God is justice. The nature of God is His holiness. They make a plea that is based upon His justice and holiness. People in their own minds recast God into a form of an idol. And they take away this judgment. If He doesn't judge, He doesn't judge our sins. And we're left in our sins. And they say, there's no sin. There's no such thing as sin. Well, God says there is. That's our problem. He is a God of vengeance. Let's turn to a few Scriptures here to prove that this is what kind of a God that He is. With balance, of course. We have to look at the whole God with all His characteristics. Deuteronomy 32, verse 35. Vengeance is mine and retribution. In due time their foot will slip. For the day of their calamity is near, and the impending things are hastening upon them. It's coming. He will do that. Vengeance is mine. Not anybody else's. Look at verse 41. If I sharpen my flashing sword and my hand takes hold on justice, I will render vengeance on my adversaries. Verse 43. Rejoice, O nations, with His people, for He will avenge the blood of His servants and will render vengeance on His adversaries and will atone for His land and His people. Do you get it? We see it, don't we? Psalm 79, verse 10. 79, 10. Why should the nations say, Where is their God? Let there be known among the nations in our sight vengeance for the blood of your servants which has been shed. Psalm 79, 10. Um, go to Psalms. Actually, I will tell you this. You can read it later if you want to. Psalm 35, all is an imprecatory psalm. Psalm 69 is an imprecatory psalm. Go to 64, 7 through 10. Psalm 64, 7 through 10. But God will shoot at them with an arrow. Suddenly they will be wounded. So they will make Him stumble. They, their own, they will stumble. Their own tongues is against them. They turn on themselves. All who see them will shake the head. Then all men I will fear. 
and they will declare the work of God and will consider what He has done. The righteous man will be, look at this, glad in the Lord and he will take refuge in Him. And all the upright in heart will glory. Did you know that we will rejoice whenever He makes a judgment? Precatory Psalm. Look at Isaiah 59. Now we get out of the Psalms even and look in Isaiah 59, 17 and 18. He put on righteousness like a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on His head. And He put on garments of vengeance for clothing. It's not the church. It first kind of looked like it, didn't it? Remember, vengeance is His. Wrapped Himself with a zeal as a mantle. According to their deeds, so He will repay. Wrath to His adversaries. Recompense to His enemies. To the coastlands He will make recompense. Vengeance goes out. Now, for every vengeance scripture, there's probably double or triple mercy and grace and love. For those who are under the judgment of God, we are called to give the Gospel to, Jesus said, you've heard it said to hate a sinner or your enemy. But I say, love your enemy. How does this measure out? Here we've taken the whole time here talking about the recompense of God and now we've just unleashed a bunch of scriptures dealing with God will take vengeance on those people and yet we are to love our enemies. That's right. That is what a Christian does. God is a God of love Himself. He's very patient. We seek and long for vengeance. Is that right? Yes. Because it puts God's display of justice. It puts it right at the top. But so does His display of His people that He is loved and called to Him. Wow. Longing for vengeance, yet at the same time there is a soft spot here that we care for those most evil and wicked people that hope to rule and destroy people, plus especially Christians. And we are to love them. That's right. We can only do it because He gave the love to us. Look in Romans 12. This is a wonderful balance. And if somebody was thinking I was some kind of a radical, rebellious kind of, I guess you could say Christian, there is always the balance that we strive for. Romans 12, 
look in verse 19. Here's how we live today. Look at verse 18. If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. That means we are to strive for peace no matter who they are or what they've done. But it will eventually come to a time that it's not possible. When it's possible, we keep giving truth, right? Because we want them to get it. As far as it depends on you. Don't you be the one that cuts it off. But when it's no longer possible... Verse 19, never take your own revenge. Boy, does this say a lot, beloved. But leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And here's what you do. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. And if he's Thirsty? Give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil. Don't do what they do. But overcome evil with good. And that's how we live the Christian life. We keep loving, keep desiring that they would come to the Lord, but yet there still is the desire that this sin would be judged. How do you explain that? It's the same thing as evangelism and the sovereignty of God. We give out the the truth of the Gospel, but God is sovereign in it. He's the one that changes hearts. So there it is. Our prayers. How do you justify prayers with the sovereignty of God? We see... Prayers actually move the hand of God. When we're praying His Word, guess what? We're praying what He's already stated and will be right every time. Every time. When we pray what's in the Word, what we know to be truth, when we, what we know to be right. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, 5-9, through we, we take a look at God's character again. It's Him that does it. Chapter 1, verse 5. For our Gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction, just as you know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your your sake. We lived it out. We preached it. We lived it. You saw it. You also became imitators of us and of the Lord. You lived it out having received the Word in much tribulation with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. That's how we live it. Did they live under persecution? Yes, much more than we can ever even talk about what's happened to us. We can't even breathe in the same room with them about that. For the word of the Lord has sounded forth from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith toward God. What a testimony, right? The word of God and the testimony of Christ has gone forth so that we have no need to say anything. 
You've done it. Now here we go. For they themselves report about us what kind of a reception we had with you and how you turned to God from idols to serve a living and true God. And here we go. And to wait for His Son from heaven, whom He raised from the dead, that is Jesus, who rescues us from the wrath to come. Now, that is 1 Thessalonians 1, right? Turn to 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 and read verse 5. This is a plain indication of God's righteous judgment so that you will be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which indeed you are suffering. For after all, it is only just for God to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to give relief to those who are afflicted and to us as well when the Lord Jesus will be revealed from heaven with His mighty angels in flaming fire, dealing out retribution to those who do not know God and to those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. These will pay the penalty of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His power when He comes to be glorified in His saints on that day and to be marveled at among all who have believed. For our testimony to you was believed. To this end also we pray for you always that our God will count you worthy of your calling and fulfill every desire for goodness and the work of faith with power. That's a great way to close a message. We do have point four and really we're, we're done here. Um, by the way, I do have a bittersweet deal here. It's found in Revelation 10, 9 and 10. It's the scroll. It is bitter. It's sweet. It's sweet, the Word of God is, but it's also bitter because God has judgment in it. He takes that scroll. He eats it. He partakes of it. And He experiences that sweet taste like honey. But yet, He also sees all the judgments that are to come. We don't wish that on anybody. God's glory, His holiness is put on display. His righteousness is on display. The righteous will be glad. And He says to the souls here that are in underneath the altar, what does He say back in Revelation 6? He tells them to rest for a little while longer. Rest. Uh, it says here also in, in 11, there was given to each of them a white robe. It represents righteousness, purity, holiness, dignity, honor to honor. We already have the Christ righteousness on us. But one day we will shed this body and we will be perfect in that sense totally uh, eradicated in, in that sense as far as sin is concerned. And guess what? That's the clothes that they will have which we have, the righteousness of Christ. But it will be for eternity. So he says, take a rest. And here's the last point. 
and I should have already gone there. There it is, white robe arrest. And the last part of this verse. Until the number of their fellow servants and their brethren who were to be killed, even as they had been, would be completed also. A rather tough saying here is brought forth. What are we waiting for? They know what the answer is going to be that He's going to judge. There are more on the earth that have to be martyred because God has designed it that way. And you say, boy, that's unnerving. Well, it's either that or God is taken by surprise and He's going, oh, my saints are being killed and martyred. I didn't know this was going to happen. That's whenever I get scared. Because He doesn't have it in control and who's to say that? Does He really have the end in control here? Is there really an eternal heaven here? No. He has the exact amount that are still to be killed. Everybody has to die except for a few who are just taken up and meet Him in the air, change their bodies there. A predetermined, prescribed number is what this is. And I know a lot of people in the body of Christ today, true believers would really, really be really mad at me. Because they would say, God never kills. Well, He does. You can see it all throughout the Old Testament. You'll see in the New Testament, He even took out of the church. He took them out. Discipline. Sometimes He kills them because it's time to go. A lot of times He uses secondary means, and that's what the Reformers used it most often. Whenever He killed somebody, it was through natural death. Any numbers of ways. They're really in the hand of God. That gives me great comfort. Because if we don't die, will we stay here on earth for the eternity? In this body? No. Well, we have to die. Is that the worst thing? It's part of His plan. It's always been a part of His plan. Explain it. I've got a human mind and a human body. I'm a bird brain. I don't know if I'll ever understand that. But I can say that God is right on schedule. And He's taken everything in His time. See, He's telling them, Satan, the Antichrist, all the ungodly that are there, you see, they're not through yet with the slaughter that they're doing. Because that's what they're going to do. They're going to slaughter. So we finish with this. As I started... And everybody here already knew the answer. There could be some people that would be really confused with this kind of message. So is it right? Is it right for the imprecatory psalms to be prayed by David, psalm writers, us? Is it right? Romans 9, 22 and 23, I thought I was done. <laughs> and we will be. 
maybe one minute. What if God, although willing to demonstrate his wrath and to make his power known, endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction? And he did so to make known the riches of his glory upon vessels of mercy. Nobody deserves his mercy. Somehow we got it which He prepared beforehand for His glory, even us whom He also called, not from among Jews only, but also from among Gentiles. Love your enemies. First Timothy 2 says to be praying for your leaders, for all who are over you, the government, that you may be able to what? preach the Word, that they would become Christians, that we'd be able to worship in freedom, which many are not able to do today. And even in this nation, they're not able to do today. Together, together. That knocks me out. I'm thankful, folks, that we got to get here today. Praise God. Be praying for some of the ones that are dealing with sickness and the covid uh, even in, in our uh, fellowship here. Sue, I want to remember her. She's doing okay, but she's still weak. And uh, we know that uh, other flus and colds have gone around too and battling all that. So it's that time of the year, so we know that uh, we miss them, we miss their presence, but that they would also recover quickly and... Uh, we get to be blessed by having their fellowship, obviously, too. So anyway, First Timothy 2 says to be praying for those people, whether they favor you or whether they hate you, we go to the Lord in prayer. Father, great God, thank You for this passage. Thank You for Your justice and Your mercy, Your love. It's overwhelming. You are a balanced God and you want us to be balanced. Not going out on a fringe and uh, taking vengeance in our own hands, but letting you do the vengeance. We just want to bring the gospel to the lost. Lord, we're told to pray for our leaders. We pray for our President Trump, who has held for so many different uh, Ideas that we believe in. Ideals. And we know that the enemy wants to impeach him this week. And they will try valiantly. They want him out. They hate him. We pray for his safety as hatred has been bantered about in unbelievable ways. Hearing language I've never heard before coming from people in high positions we pray for him. We pray for a vice president, Mike Pence. We pray for their protection. Other people who are leading and standing for righteousness' sake and really being up front, their lives could be taken quickly. Josh Hawley, who represents our state as a senator, who has stood firm, representing righteousness. People like Ted Cruz, we pray for him and others who stand for that. And now, Lord, what is hard to pray for are the leaders that are coming in to their positions that they have been 
elected to, legally, illegally. Lord, they would be enemies as they would pronounce what we have is deplorable. They do not even want to believe in you. And they believe in taking life at an early age before one even is born or even very quickly after they're born. We've heard of many of these things. It goes much worse than I can even speak. We pray, Lord, for their salvation. There can be miracles done, and I'm sure out of some of those people that you could very well do, and it would show off your glory to save somebody that hates you so much. Lord, we were that way too, maybe not in the very elements that they are, and some of the sins, but it doesn't matter. We were sinners too, and we were on our way to hell. You saved us, reached down, brought us to life. Help us remember that as we pray for those, and we certainly pray for our, the body of Christ all throughout the world. Many are being persecuted. Many are being killed in the name of the government or in the name of God from other religions and such. And the ones who are being persecuted here or will be, Lord, we look upon You for wisdom and how to act at this time. Thank You for this peace and safety we have here. We don't even really feel it, Lord. We hear about it. We don't feel it. We need Your courage to be able to stand up for Your truth and to be able to pronounce Christ. Be a testimony for Him as He is our testimony. Thank You, Lord, for this time. May we honor and glorify You in whatever we do. May we be able to continue to worship in peace. In Jesus' name, Amen.